one thing that I learned is he can like ask all these questions in the interview. It can be like, hey, by the way, are you making the call or is this going to be someone else? Just want to, just curious. Or could I get a chance to speak to your boss as well? I think most of the times it's it's actually fine to bring these things up and, and just have like this open and honest conversation. And most of the time it makes people more humane as well. I had a lot of interviews where people were, and, and, and understand it's a very nerve-wracking situation too. I have empathy for that. But a lot of interviews where people were, you know, so tense, they were like a robot and they were kind of scared of every question. And if that's you, again, I have a lot of empathy for you, then, you know, you want to find ways to, to kind of break through that barrier because there is oftentimes a moment where both the interviewee and the interviewer, they just have like a moment where it's like, oh, I can I can see myself working with that person. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's saying hello. Sometimes it's a, you know, a strong handshake or sometimes it's it's just how they say something or humor or something humane. But I've never seen a candidate getting hired without their hiring manager having like a a moment of, oh, I want to work with this person. uh, And they actually got the job. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung. And today I have a very special guest. Now, I say this every time, special guest, but he is very special. He is Kevin Indig. He is director of SEO. And what I really want to dive into is he's had many job titles at many different places, and I am very excited to share his insights so that you can further perhaps your career. So, Kevin, over to you. Introduce who you are and take it away. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Uh, pleasure to be on. Um, you already introduced me. I'm you know, Kevin, living in Chicago right now, working as director of SEO for Shopify, uh, and I've been in this whole SEO space for... <laughs> Jeez, uh, I think it's 11 years now, something like that. Uh, I spend the majority now on the in-house side. I work for companies like G2 or Atlassian before. Um, but I got my chops early on on the agency side of things uh, where we consulted enterprise clients relatively early on. And uh, if you haven't heard it by now, I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I have like a, like some interesting perspectives between Europe and the U.S., I mean, let's get into that. What is the difference between European SEO and, let's say, US? I would say that Europeans are more inclined to be very technical. Um, and they're also, yeah, I'd say the technicality is probably one of the biggest standout features. Whereas in the US, I think um, they're, they're certainly very technical people, but it's it's often a bit more on the content marketing side or higher level things. Whereas some some for in Germany, for example, was where I was born and raised. Um, some Germanies are pretty fluent in all sorts of programming languages, right? And it's, it's I think it's a much higher share than in in other places. And that is not better or worse; it's just different. Um, and I also think that Germany, you know, in terms of the mentality. Um, in, and I got to be careful with what I say, but I think, you know, Europeans tend to be a bit more critical of things. And I think the U.S. Um, people there might be just a bit more optimistic. And again, that's it's it sounds like a judgment. It's really not. It's just two different ways to approach the same topic. And I think a lot of it comes from how the education systems are introduced from our early years through to the end. Because we had a American colleague at Prosperity for a while and you know, his presentation skills were just off the charts. And it was so different to Australians where we, we may be native English speakers, but we, we suck at presenting because it's not something that we were ever taught to do. In fact, it was like the, 
the biggest task that we dreaded in high school was to do a presentation, even if it was five minutes. But here, <laughs> you know, Nick Dye, amazing SEO, tech SEO. He just came in and, and he, he just blew our minds because difference. And, and that's what makes us all a little bit different, especially in our careers. And on that topic of careers, I do have an interesting question I want to ask you because I first came to know you when I joined Prosperity uh, because you were in the panel for when we won the SEMrush Best Agency Award back in God knows when. Like, COVID's a blur now. I don't remember. <laughs> but I've noticed in your LinkedIn <laughs> that you were first a contractor at Atlassian, and then you moved to the head of technical SEO, which is a you know full-time role. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was definitely an outlier. Before we jump into that, I still remember the, the SEMrush Awards in Sydney pretty well. I flew over to Sydney for three days from Germany. That was, that was crazy, but it was a hell of a party. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so how did I do that? So th that's probably something that doesn't happen a lot in a career, if ever at all, but I basically had a free pass uh, at the com at Dailymotion. They were closing the office in Palo Alto. So I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, working out of Palo Alto. Dailymotion is a French company out of Paris, France. And they had an office in New York City as well. And uh, they were acquired by a big conglomerate. Um, and they decided to close down the office in Palo Alto. And I was there and they offered me to relocate. I was not ready to relocate. So it was basically like, okay, we're going to part ways. You're kind of contract was running out um and I, I slowly handed over my responsibilities to other people and it was basically i had very little if not nothing to do for a while and so i you know i uh, i got I had, I had some connections and network and um last was looking for they wanted to hire me initially and i was like ah you know i'm still in this other contract but uh why don't we find a contracting deal um, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty pleasant. And then it hired me full time after I left Dailymotion. Awesome. And then you went to G two, and this is where I want to talk about job titles. But before we dive into that, do you think job titles matter? I'm conflicted. You know, um, on the one hand, they're obviously construct. Uh, there's so much nuance that decides the job title, like. Uh, for example, I was a VP at G2. Now I'm a director, so technically step down. But uh, Shopify is, after quick math, quick math, uh, thirty times larger than G2, maybe more. So obviously, very different environments. And so uh, the job titles can matter, um, and it depends very much on the context. Reality is also though that job titles can open doors. You know that are. At a certain level, you just get more open doors than at a, at a maybe lower level. So that is just a harsh reality. And I don't, I think that's fine to be honest. I know a lot of people are, you know, like like Elon Musk, I think he changed his job title to, to I don't know, Chief Innovation or some crazy thing. I once called myself, uh, what was, I gave myself a job title because they just let me choose. I think it was uh, SEO Ninja. It was something very embarrassing uh, that I wouldn't do <laughs> anymore. You were one of those it. people, SEO Ninja. I was, no. one of, yes, I, I was one of those people, 100%. Yeah, that was, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I own it. Um, and I wouldn't do that again. But uh, yeah, so, but, you know, there, there's, there's, there's pros to, to job titles as well. Yeah. And, and one of the things I loved about working at Prosperity was that I could, choose my own job title. Well, I don't know if I was allowed to, I just did. And so that that has opened doors. And what's interesting is what you said is sometimes that the next job that may pay more or have better opportunities for growth 
may seem like a step down. Like I gave myself the title of SEO team leader at Prosperity and now I've moved in-house and I'm just a lowly SEO manager. And SEO manager can mean anything at any place. And it's an interesting dichotomy. yeah, exactly. Yeah, about- we, we actually changed. I, I changed job titles at uh, at Shopify because uh, it was just managers at different levels, and that doesn't make sense, right? Uh, so job titles can help people orient themselves, understand where to place you. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, um, but also give yourself like a little more kind of guidance along the way. So, I, I, yeah, I think I think there's I think there's a, a healthy degree of importance for job titles. So would you say you're more of a independent or individual contributor or are you more of a leadership person or are you both or are you something else? <sighs> That's such a good question. Um, that is such a good question. I, I struggle with that. I mean, my, my my role has me, I have a team of 25 SEOs. So technically I'm a, I'm a manager. Um, I'm also, I also really love getting my hands dirty and just dive into some analysis. And there will be times, it's, it's usually on the weekend because my calendar is just back-to-back meetings. But sometimes when I have a free moment, I will just something will just soak me in and I'll go really, really deep. Um, and so uh, I think I have an inclination for both. And I think over the years, I learned to play both roles. Now, the question is, which what do I prefer? And I'm still trying to understand that better. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think there's also a context to it in certain situations. I might prefer one over the other. Both have pros and cons. I was lucky to enjoy both of them. So yeah, I'm I'm conflicted about this one. Yeah. And and I think there is a little bit of a shift in the market these days where you don't have to be fully managerial. There is oh, yeah. a track now for salary-wise, that you can be just an amazing IC. And that's great because a lot of us in SEO, we tend to be a little bit introverted. We, we, we don't want to cause ruffles. We don't like speaking out. That's why we like nerding out on things. Like, I should know these terms, but it's not coming to me. Am I really an SEO? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I kind of just took on the management stuff. And again, I like... Back in my MBA days, I, I don't like the word management because that's from the Industrial Revolution. I don't think people these days in 2022 or whenever you're hearing this need to be managed. It's more how do you empower them to get them to fulfill whatever they need to do. It's, you know, and then that's leadership. And no one really teaches that either. You just have to adopt it because whether it's agency or in-house, that's the growth, which kind of sucks. <laughs> I would take it even further than that. I would say that there is a management crisis right now. Um, I think that, and I've observed it many times, that there used to be a time, say, even say maybe until the early 2000s or maybe 2010s, where management was kind of the pinnacle of business. That was the you know queen with the sword on the shoulders and stuff like the, you know that, that was the biggest honor is being a manager in the highest degree of business. And today. I actually noticed a couple of things. One is that a lot of first-time managers hate it. They they are great individual contributors. They step into a management role and they hate every second of their life. And they they make a decision to step back from that. I, I had that at least three times for some people who report to me who decide to step into management and go back. That's one thing. The other thing is that um, it used to be this huge honor and, and, and achievement to be a manager. And these days, like some of the most successful people actually decide to go back into an individual contributor role. 
uh, like a uh, you know um, like like a Darmesh from HubSpot, for example. I think he's CTO. I might be wrong. I think he is. He's an individual contributor. He has barely meetings. He has no direct reports. Huge like co-founder of of HubSpot and huge leverage in the company. Um, another example is Naval Ravikant, who. Um, amongst others, co-founded or founded uh, Angelus. Also very successful, tons of money. He has people who operate the business, take care of the business, but he doesn't schedule meetings at all. And um, so I think, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm not sure if it's because people value time over money. That's kind of the common argumentation. Or if the reality is just that management is incredibly exhausting and training. And, uh, you know, remote work doesn't help, even though I'm a big advocate of remote work. But, man, it's rough. And it's not just it's not just kind of people having problems. I mean, sure, at some point there's always problems. It's just the nature of business. Um, but it's also that, you know, you, you kind of need a certain uh, – you need to be to a certain level hands-on and connected to your team and everybody on the team. And that in itself just takes a lot of time. And kind of managing all of that together – is incredibly, incredibly taxing. And so I think we're in crisis and a lot of managers try to get out of management or wish they could, they wouldn't have to manage anymore. Um, and as you said correctly, more companies incentivize individual contributors, especially those with high leverage. And on the other hand, um, it's still in a lot of occasions, you still make more money as a manager because you have high leverage. So the, the a lot of people probably ask themselves, okay, so how can I make more money and still not become a manager? It all depends on the leverage. If you, you know, if you can, I think one of the best uh, examples is um, at, at Google or Facebook. I know these are different companies than most, but there you have individual contributors to the highest level who just have a ton of leverage because they work on some super important algorithms. And you don't have to go to get to that level, but if you are kind of one of a kind, a, a single person who can, who, who can do one thing really well, that's the place to be to to then get the leverage that that makes you make a lot more money, but maybe not having to manage if you don't want to. Some people love it, you know, like uh, it's nothing nothing wrong with that. But the trend I think is going towards, you know, idolizing individual contributors. Well said. Now, given your German upbringing, how did you you know navigate between being very technical to then having these things that we now call soft skills? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. I would say. <laughs> I would say um, I... And why do you have I, a sense of humor if you're German now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do. I laugh a lot, but I don't know if I have a good sense of humor, to be honest. Um, and that's fine. Um, you know, uh, I, I think I think part of that is because I, I grew up in kind of a bi bicultural family. My father is American. My mom is German. So I got a little bit of both. Um in the crib and then on the other hand i adjusted to i think the american uh, culture when i came over here so initially i don't think i was you know um as adept to that as, as i am today um but um yeah it's, it's it's a lot of observation training um empathy so i'm very I'm more inclined to the analytical and, and technical um but um yeah i think working in this field and, and, and pushing myself to speak and, and podcast and write and do all these things have helped over time. Awesome. You mentioned podcast and you run, produce, host something called TechBound. So why don't you pitch that? I mean, people should know already. Yeah, yeah. People so should what is TechBound about? 
What is TechPound about? Um, so TechPound, the, the idea there really is, the topic is growth. Uh, and I'm speaking to kind of to, to experts in growth field, SEOs, but also entrepreneurs, um, people who are well-versed and paid in all sorts of channels, news acquisition. Uh, but the goal is to also kind of show a little bit how those individuals grew themselves. So it's not just about growing a company, but also how do you grow yourself? What are the things that you read or watch or do on a daily basis? How do you see the world? And I want to surface that a bit more to help others kind of find their path and, and just see what different approaches are out there. And it really stemmed from, um, you know, when you go to a conference in person, you have you have these amazing conversations, most often at the bar at night. And, and there's so many good things that come out of these conversations. And I wanted to somehow capture that. And, um, you know, it's obviously awkward to say, hey, you know, let me just kind of just record this, our conversation. It's, it's weird, right? So it became a podcast format. And um, it was a, a podcast recorded in person um, until the pandemic hit, of course. But until then, I would, I would go to people, um, travel and bring my, my microphones, my audio recorder, and uh, just record these conversations. Because, you know, when you get familiar with each other and you riff, you get into like a jam, really cool things come out of that and more people need to hear that. Definitely. Very similar to why I run this podcast. Now, I want to spend the last few minutes talking about hiring from the perspective of you being the hiring manager and for the listeners who are thinking of starting a career in search or digital, or maybe they want to progress to the next stage of their career. What insights do you have as someone who's come across hundreds of CVs, had multiple interviews? What exactly are you looking for? when you are hiring someone from a junior role to a more senior role? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you, obviously, you definitely give a bit more leeway in the profile when it's a very junior role. Um, a lot of people will grow into a role and grow into kind of business maturity and all this kind of stuff. But generally, whenever you hire someone, there's a job that needs to be done, uh, of course, right? Uh, so the... The most important thing is, can the person do the job? That's the number one thing. And can they do it well? Then as a, as a second uh, kind of thing to evaluate, you want to understand, are they, are they going to play nice? Are they going to play well in the company? Are they going to kind of fit in and contribute, right? All the kind of um, soft skills stuff. But the biggest number one thing is really about impact. And that's also what I'm looking for when I look at people's resumes, um, or CVs, it's really, have they done this before and do they really know what they're talking about? Part of that is that they will know the results of what they have done because when you have worked on something, especially when it's challenging, you'll remember, right? And so when I ask someone, hey, have you ever done a site migration before? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I ask, okay, so what was the hardest thing? And they're like, ah, oh, you know, hardest thing was, uh, and they start to think and then it's like, uh, it was, uh, talking to all the stakeholders, right? And they're like, oh, okay, maybe that's one of the hardest things, but anything technical, right? And so you, basically what you want that person to say is, yeah, I did three kind of site migrations in my career. Hardest things were this, this, and that. And this is how we overcame them. We did it. This is what we noticed. These were the results. So it, it, the magic is not in number three. It doesn't matter if you have done one or 10, but the magic is in do they understand it from A to Z and can they quote unquote, replicate that as your need. So me as a hiring manager, I have a need, I have a job that needs to be done. I want to bring someone in who can do that job and who can do it well. And then sure, there's the whole soft skill side of things. And that's that's important. You want to have people who 
are curious, who are open to learning, who are open to failing, um, who, again, like can work with others. It's, it, it sounds weird, but it's not always a given. You know, there are some highly intelligent people, but they, they just, you know, they just can't work with others. They can collaborate, <laughs> can communicate. Communication is another big thing to fish for. Um, because that that can really make or break a project. So I'm gonna start. I'm gonna pause there. But uh, impact and experience is incredibly important. Now, I through my own experience, I I felt as though I didn't interview well at one of my recent interviews, and this was the second, like the final final round where I was meeting the chapter lead or like the, my boss's boss's boss, and I felt as though you know I had done really poorly, and they offered me a job so i must have done something well so there's two questions here and that is for those of us who, who don't interview well how should we prepare and the second part of that question is i forgot i will remember while you're talking <laughs> <laughs> no worries no worries so first of all as you as you already self you know analyzed you you probably did much better in that conversation than you thought so that's interesting um how do you prepare so there are a couple of things uh, one is I recommend everyone in their career to create a folder on the Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever and just start collecting successes. It can be a nice Slack message from a colleague saying, hey, you really crushed it on that project. Um, it can be the results of a project you shipped. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to give away the name or you don't have to give all the information away. But if you can say, hey, I created a content strategy and content grew 50% year over year, that's something you want to store somewhere and save it because I promise you will forget it. Um, so these are these are kind of basics to do on a, on a regular basis. Uh, on the other hand, so when you prepare, you kind of want to do a couple of things. Um, first of all, you just want to really understand where the company is going. And in the case of SEO, how important is SEO actually for the company? Is it like a G2 situation where SEO, if, like, if the company gets penalized, they're done? Or is it like a sales force where it's nice to have, but... If it doesn't work out, we're not going to die. Uh, so you want to kind of understand the company dynamics a little bit, how the company fits in the industry, are they disruptor, are they established agency, what kind of clients, all this kind of stuff. If they're a public company, look at the um, uh, the, the earnings or the, the annual kind of reports. Companies give a lot of about their strategy away in those. Then you want to understand what the role uh, is really about. What what skills are they looking for? And I would ask that the recruiter or, or whoever you speak to first, I'd be like, hey, what do they need? What's the requirements? You know, what what does success look like? What does really good in that role look like? Has there been somebody before who did really well, and what were they like? So, you can do inquiry, and and this is like when when somebody asks me this on the other side, when I'm the hiring manager and candidate asks me that, great, I know that they, you know, that that's a, that's a very good signal, it's a good ranking signal, uh, and so. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so you want to really understand the role, kind of what's required and how you can crush it. Uh, and then ask, you want to understand the people on the other side. So uh, who are you talking to? Who would be your, your hiring manager? And who are all the other people? And what, what are the kind of the dynamics there? Uh, I have, I'm not going to name the company, but I have, uh, you know, in the interview process of a company, um, came to learn that there are really, really strong tensions between somebody who's currently in a role and and my future hiring manager. And so you want to kind of understand these things pretty well before you even go further in the interview process and just understand where it's coming from and what's going on. So a lot of inquiry and research. And then the last thing is you want to understand yourself. Uh, so you want to kind of have a story at hand. And it, I'm not talking about a made-up story, right? But I'm talking about you thinking about, hey, 
you know, like what's my kind of kind of path here, right? Like uh, it can be simple as like, oh, I was born and raised in Germany, went agency side, and then I turned it in house, and this is why I turned it in house, blah, blah, blah. Like a little bit, you know, uh, to give yourself a profile, but also understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Um, and that is very difficult. Uh, maybe not for everyone, but it certainly was for me. Uh, and so one of the best things you can do is collecting feedback over time, similar to how you would collect successes. You also collect feedback or things that didn't work out. Um, and in worst case, just ask some of your closest people, friends. Uh, uh, family is always tricky because, you know, people tend to not be as honest with you. Uh, or try to just do a self-assessment in general. But it's really about understanding these kind of four cornerstones is the company, um, the role, the hiring manager, and yourself. And that's as good as the, as, as the prep can get. Amazing. I remembered my second question. That is, since, you know, you can only speak from your experience, you as the hiring manager, but you have someone superior to you. Does that person who's superior make the final say or does it come back to you? Do they just give you feedback and then you still get that decision? Of course, you can only speak from your experiences. Like, Yeah, yeah, my, my situation, yeah, I make the final call. Um, I can... Um, ask my managers for feedback. And most of the times when it's a really important leadership role on my team, then I will have them speak to my boss as well because uh, I want to get their experience and their input. It will help me hire, but I can I can make the final uh, call and say about this. See, I wish I knew this when I was applying for jobs in-house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's super tricky. But like one thing that I learned is you can like ask all these questions in the interview. You know, it can be like, "Hey, by the way, are you making the call, or is this going to be someone else?" Just want to, just curious, or could I get a chance to speak to your boss as well? Um, I think most of the times, it's it's actually fine to bring these things up um, and and just have like this open and honest conversation. And most of the time, it makes people more humane as well. I had a lot of interviews where people were and and I understand it's a very nerve-wracking situation too i have empathy for that uh but a lot of interviews where people were you know so tense they were like a robot and they were kind of scared of every question and um if that's you again i have a lot of empathy for you then you know you want to find ways to to kind of break through that barrier because there is oftentimes a moment where both the interviewee and the interviewer they just have like a moment where it's like oh I can I can see myself working with that person. Sometimes mm. it's saying hello. Sometimes it's a you know a strong handshake, or sometimes it's it's just how they say something or humor or something humane. But I've never seen a candidate getting hired without their hiring manager having like a, a moment of I oh, I want to work with this person, uh, and they actually got the job. Yeah, that that's really good feedback, and and that makes sense because that person has to deal with you on most days, and if they don't like you, then. It's probably not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes I would, I mean, it's, it's a good question. Would you hire skills over wanting to work with people? And when you think about the fact that you do this for a long time and that it can get tense and tough and, you know, um, then I think most of the time I actually prefer people who are maybe who I, who I want to work with. And, um, you know, I, of course, as long as they can somewhat do the job, right? They, they shouldn't be, they just have to be able to do the job. But uh, if I have to choose between somebody being maybe 5% better and somebody else who I just really enjoy working with, it's an easy call for me. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your knowledge, Kevin. It's been really fun and eye-opening, and I hope it has been for you as well as the listener. So any last questions? comments tips anything you want to plug perhaps 
Um, maybe if I can ask you a question on the spot. <laughs> of course. What made you think that you, you failed ask. that interview? Ah, okay. So, th- a few things. So, this was, I haven't interviewed for like three and a half years. And, and it was kind of, I was kind of taking the piss, which is an Aussie slang for, it was just a joke for me. I, I want to see if the market wanted me. And so, long story short, I, I interviewed really well initially with my line manager or the hiring manager because I understood the role. I, I name dropped their competitors because we've worked for them at the agency. Um, and I could demonstrate that I knew my stuff and we, we, we got along well. And then the second interview, which was the final round, was with their bosses' bosses. And I felt I had failed because they asked a lot of psychometric type of questions. Mm-hmm. And I asked the recruiter afterwards, like, why are they asking me this stuff? It's not your usual, how, like, what stresses you? It was like, how are you when you are stressed? Mm-hmm. And so they really wanted specific things. And then when I asked the recruiter, they said, oh, the previous person left because they couldn't handle stress well. And I was like, well, if you just told me earlier, I could have given you many examples. But I, okay, I, I, a, I didn't prepare very well for that, obviously. And B, it felt like a therapy session. And I was like, I wasn't comfortable sharing this information. It was like, where are you going with this? Why, ask me why you're asking me mm. this instead of trying to sense what I'll answer. It's like, that's why I said, I don't feel like I interview well because I'm, I just do my shit and I'm really good at it. And yes, I can lead a team and I can mentor people. But when it comes to interviewing, it's like, that's not what, that's not what I get paid for. But, mm. but you know, it's part of the job. It's part of how you progress. But there was a learning experience for me. But for whatever reason, I, I must have done okay. Oh, there was other stuff. There was another really technical person who was asking me, Do, have you used A-B testing tool XYZ? And I was like, no, I haven't. Again, that was my fault for not ending the sentence with I'm willing to learn. But it's like sometimes these are like proprietary tools, in-house <laughs> tools. How would anyone use it? Like, what again, ask me what you want to ask, not have I used XYZ. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear it. I hear it. There, I think there's a lot of that going on in business. It's like like some masked question or and it feels like, you know, people are trying to test you and maybe they are, but it feels it feels a bit deceiving. So I can I can understand how that how that arrives on your end. Um but uh it seems like you crushed it and now you got the role. So congratulations for that. <laughs> oh no, I turned them down. Oh, <laughs> you turned them down oh, because got the yeah, the I turned them down because they took like Two weeks to get back to me. So, A, I understand why that person left because of stress. And B, it was just not a good experience because you left me hanging for 10 days and the market mm. where it is right now is crazy. If you're not quick, that's your fault. And the other interview I had, well, many others, this other one, the one I chose, we just gelled. There was none of this hr questions. It was just we knew each other kind of and it worked out. Yeah, seems like you dodged a bullet, you know. Uh, people leaving because of stress is a little bit of a red flag. Sometimes it's the people too, you know. Some people are just really sensitive to stress and it's really difficult. But uh, yeah, when you hear those, there's some like markers you want to check for in the company, right? Stuff like, is it toxic? Uh, are they are they kind of... Oh, but they always say they have a great culture. Yeah, yeah right. Everybody <laughs> says that. <laughs> then you go on glass doors like, okay, all right. I think that's why people just... It's so much preferable to hire within your network, and I cle- mm. I hundred percent re- prefer that because you just you get over all that BS, and you just uh, get to people from a different angle. Uh, which, by the way, why it makes so much sense as a hiring manager or as a people who wants to have a career management to build a strong network is because you might hire some of these people in the future. 
uh, and it's because of that. It's because the company displays themselves better as they are. The applicant displays themselves better as they are, as they should, right? And so it's, it becomes this kind of dance in this weird game where sometimes it's just like, hey, I've known you for five years. I need this thing. What do you need? Oh, do we come to terms? Awesome. Welcome. You got the job. You know, it's like it, it's like Paul Shapiro. I brought him to Shopify. It was kind of that situation. I really needed somebody super technical, super strong and smart. We knew each other. We wanted to work with each other for a long time, and and the time was right. And so we, we just made it happen. And that was a great hire. I would do it every, again every time. Well said. Like your network is really very very important, and that may seem very hard to grow in the beginning, but there are ways. Just don't be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think sometimes even it's, it's almost easier as a beginner. Uh, and maybe I just say that because I'm on the other side. But um, you know, just like wanting to learn and just as you said, being humble, not being annoying, being curious and open. A lot of people actually respond well to that. Um, but yeah, I also have the opposite of people who just they left they left the fiftieth message on LinkedIn asking me. You know, I know. Just being annoying, so uh, yeah, you, you. I think you brought it to the to the spot there. Yeah. Hey, hey, can I have a link? Can I have a link? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do you have uh, time to well. jump on a quick chat? And it's like, no, I don't have time. To oh jump yes, on a quick phone call. <laughs> Are you free? 50. Can I? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you something? It's like, ask it. <laughs> Just write it. Ask me. They already have. They already used I... up that question. <laughs> yeah. See, honestly, you're not wrong there. Because man, I is not tooting my own horn, but man, my on LinkedIn I have fifty unread messages on Twitter probably as well. I'm trying to get back to people, but it's very short amount of time that I have. Mm -hmm. So if you if you text if you write hey, I will not respond to you. Right, send the question, make it easy for me to say yes or no or answer you, and then I'm more inclined. A good question makes me inclined to have more conversation with a person. Good tip. And I think we'll end it here because this has been very, very, very fun and I'm mindful of time. So thank you very much, Kevin. And, you know, if you haven't subscribed to Draining Sundays, you know what to do. And I'll see you next time.